making a no-budget film? It's like going to war. But you're not General MacArthur storming the beaches with the force of a hundred thousand soldiers. Instead, you're, you're more like a squad of Viet Cong guerrillas behind enemy lines, trying to complete an impossible mission using guile and your wits. The odds stacked against you. It's risky, difficult, and dangerous. I can swear to it. I've been there. Uh, this week we have a special guest, Chris, from our friends over at the Regrettable Century. What's up? Is joining Matt and I for our final discussion about Game of Thrones. Yes, right. we promise. So I, I figured that you guys brought me on as a sort of like, since I did, a, you know, I did a graduate study in medieval history. So I'm one of those guys that's real good at going, well, actually, in medieval warfare, you wouldn't have <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Which has been a struggle for me in watching Game of Thrones to just keep Which my mouth a, shut and enjoy the show, you know? Well, there's a, the, yeah, there's a couple of reasons. A, um, it, it's an interesting dynamic because, Chris, you have read the books uh -huh. and all the TV show. Okay, let's say I've read the books. Yes. Like, so many fucking times. It's like indecent how many times I've read the books. Like, and, and, and Matt has read the books. Um, and the first and last episode of the series <laughs> yeah we'll just say I, I haven't seen the show we'll just say, why I mean, would you do that matt <laughs> <laughs> uh well okay one time i i um just was bored somewhere and my friend gave me an ipad and was like here watch this it's game of thrones so i saw the first episode and then right. uh and then recently it was just everybody was doing it so i said yeah. i'll watch that last episode too and I, but I don't think I want to watch the other episodes. So the the first episode didn't draw you in because uh, I remember having been a fan of the books and seeing the the first season and being like, okay, this is a really good adaptation of a of a novel. Mm. You know, well that first episode was, uh, yeah. you know, I, but I, I, I just figured there's no way they can keep this going. Well, you were right. Well, they they well, it wasn't a faithful adaptation, but it I still enjoyed it. Plus, it's guys, it's a lot of television. I mean, it there's is. only so much time in the day, you know, it's, yeah. Well, so that, so I've read the first book and then, um, because I didn't get into the TV show until season, right before the start of season four, I had a coworker who was like, uh, hey man, you'll, you'll like this show. And I'm like, and I do enjoy sort of the swords and sandals genre of action dramas, but traditionally dragon movies have kind of sucked. And, and so I, I kind of just passed on it, and then he, he made me watch season one, and I got hooked. And then I, I sped through seasons two and three to catch up, and then I read the first book. But by that point, we were already into show mode, and I was just into season four onward. Mm -hmm. So I think we all bring different perspectives to the books and the show, and hopefully that will inform our overall review of, at, at very minimum, the, ser the series finale, if not the series as a whole, as a sort of a retrospective. Yeah. So I, I read the books, uh, all the ones that had come out so far, which was the first four. Um, I th like the only four that will ever come out. No, no, there, there's there were five. five. The, You're talking about before the oh. show, but yeah, oh, but before the show even. I mean, I think I read them in in two thousand four and five and six. It was like when I first started college, and uh, you know, I was uh, for whatever reason had time to read books. But uh, right, <laughs> I, yeah. So I read all of the books before the show even came out, and then the show came out. The first season did, and then. Uh, the last book came out. So I read that one the summer after the show came out. But um, right. so once, once I figured out how to use audiobooks, I would be like, well, you know, I've got a commutes to work and school and on the, on the bus and I've got to walk across campus all the time. And I've got to like do my boring, I was a barista. I got to do my boring right. job. I can do it with like one earphone in while listening to audiobooks. So I would just like listen to the audiobooks once a year. I'd be like, you know, so, it's been a while since I listened to Song Ice and Fire. I'll listen to it again. And I just started doing that again, like, last right, week. Right. Yeah, I've actually, yeah. now that, the, now that the, the TV show is is wrapped, I, I kind of want to go back, and, and it'll probably be in, in audiobook form. Do you guys feel that that's a little bit of a cheat? No, I think I it's mean, great. I, I, I'm totally fine with audiobooks. I think I think we mentioned either this past podcast or maybe a prior one, my sort of love of um, The Alchemist on on in podcast form yeah i i like audiobooks because i i think that it's a, a format that humans evolved to be able to understand stories and that's through the 
in the spoken word from mouth to ear. Right. And uh, storytelling existed for thousands of years before, you know, the written word was was invented, I'm sure. So, like, I think it's great. I think it's a really, a really cool way to be able to take in stories. Yeah, I, I, a lot of uh, the stuff I do at work is kind of, um, kind of mindless, honestly. Yeah. Uh, working in an art studio, you have a lot of real just repetitive tedium, and so... Um, I just keep a Bluetooth earpiece uh, in, and uh, my phone is just streaming books or lectures or whatever I want to yeah. learn about. And um, so, yeah, no, I, I think audiobooks are are pretty great, actually. For for a lot of people with their jobs, you can just uh, kind of have this extra layer where you can learn things or or you right. know, read things, or I guess read, listen to audiobooks. and uh, so and that's and that's how I've done the uh the series um i i do read books in you know in text form sometimes but uh when you've got a really good narrator like the game of thrones se- or the uh, song of ice and fire has um right. yeah roy dotrice yeah he's amazing yeah, yeah. I, I was telling dave last time on the show that he's actually uh one of the guys from from the show he was a cast member on the show yeah and, the uh, the uh, alchemist not the, not the, the, alchemist, pyro- I, the pyromancer that was the, the pyromancer word I yeah. think of last yeah. time yeah. yeah yeah he was the head pyromancer yeah, that's right. That, which is, I, whenever I saw that, I was like, "Dude, that's so cool." Yeah, I recognize yeah. this voice immediately. Yeah, yeah. So, so now that we're uh, a week removed from the season, the series finale, just general general thoughts on it. Like, what was your feedback coming out of it? I have had some disagreements with some of the decisions made in the story of the show over the past couple of seasons, but I kind of felt like the the ending of the show was the best way they could have tied it up. And I wasn't unhappy with the ending. I had this conversation uh, actually with your brother, Chris, yesterday. And um, I understand. I I know, like, especially if you listen to the past couple of episodes, it feels like I'm sort of a Game of Thrones apologist. But I do understand some of the reasons why people aren't connecting. What I disagree Mm -hmm. with is more when people lean on on the the, sort of the trope of I don't like this. So it must be bad writing or it must be hacky or lazy or rushed. That's just not the truth. And, and maybe because I just, I know what the process is for these types of shows. And it's so painstaking that like it, it, there's so many layers of it. Like you don't have that freedom to be, to be hacky or rushed. Like there's 50 execs at HBO plus George plus the directors who are all weighing in, you don't always get it right, but I don't think it was laziness. I think, though, that they they switched. I, I think that season eight was was told from the viewpoint of um, a cinema, cinematic lens mm-hmm. versus a storytelling lens. And by that, I mean, if you look at the conclusion and the resolution of every character, you could take one image from the show and it would sum up their story. For yeah. example, uh, Daenerys right before her Hitler speech, right? With the dragon opening its wings, you know, perfectly framed so that it looks like she basically has dragon wings coming out of her back. That was great, by the way. I really like that. It was beautiful. And if you take that single cell, that frame, does that not tell her story? That that one picture is like, okay, you get what Daenerys' resolution is. So mm-hmm. is, is that why they brought the Dothraki back to life for that scene? <laughs> Is that the kind of stuff you're talking about where they're just like, man, it's too bad we killed all the Dothraki off two episodes ago. I really wanted them in that end scene. Just just well, put them in, man. It's cool. Just put yeah. them there. Well, the, like, that's no the big thing. deal. That's the, what are we going to do? Like, have was... the last episode without Dothraki? I don't think so. Right. Well, the problem is, is when you watch the show, even within that episode and certainly the next episode, you realize that not all the Dothraki No, died. apparently not. They, and, and there was and a, they did quite it. a bit of Dothraki. So, and, it, and then some of them lived, including ghosts. So, um, you know, details, details are important. But other than that, yes, you're right. They brought them back to life. They, I, with with her dragon powers. They didn't do a very good job of portraying the fact that not all the Dothraki died because agreed the way that those lights went out, I was like, well, that was a really terrible use of calorie of, of, uh, Calvary, you know? Yeah. Right. Cavalry. Well, so that's the thing. Cavalry. Cavalry. Cavalry is where Jesus died. Cavalry yeah. is what horses <laughs> with horses. That wasn't ver- that wasn't very well portrayed either. Yeah. Um yeah. I was like Well Okay. Well it was, it was two things. I, I again this is where I think that they they relied a lot on imagery and metaphor. So the image of and the and the subversion of expectations that these Dothraski are about to have this really brutal even if they lose, this brutal battle with the undead. 
um, and and charging into battle with flaming swords, and then just seeing them, you know, from a from a from a distance, o- almost a POV of our main characters, and and just see the lights getting extinguished as symbolism for their hope of any chance of survival. It's a beautiful image. However, good. this this is where I think this is where like you're right. Like, does it really convey that a lot of them lived? Not really. You know, like that that gets that gets sacrificed in the in the in the need to to have this symbolic moment where we, from the POV of our main characters, are seeing their their hope literally extinguished. Right, and I think it's it's kind of a. The kind of thing that you don't really worry about in the in the grand narrative arc, you're like, oh, you right. know, I mean, like, yeah, we might have made it look like they all died, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to really matter. It, it'll be fine. And and to someone who's like nitpicky about every piece of culture that they ever like ever consume, it's going to be something that people point out. And in the yeah, end, sure. it in the end, it doesn't really matter. But it's definitely like one of those things that I saw that made me go like, ah, oh, come on guys. You know? Yeah. See, that, well, I think they try to get, well, I that's think the that, problem okay. is this is a show that used to never make you go, ah, oh, come on guys. And now it's happening multiple uh, times an episode. I, I don't think that's true. And I think I, I definitely thought, ah, oh, come on guys a few times in game of Thrones. And I got to say been... that one of everyone's favorite episodes to me was probably one of my least favorite episodes of the entire series. And that was the battle of the bastards. Oh, 100%. The Battle of the Bastards made me go, oh, come on, guys, like, the entire fucking time. Like, yeah, so that's – so we I brought this up on a couple podcasts ago when we had Jude on as our guest. And um, there's this philosophy of the crisis of legitimization mm-hmm. and or, or crisis of legitimacy. And I think that when you look at the first four seasons of the show, mm-hmm. because they were direct adaptations of the book, a lot of things that the show has done consistently – somehow get excused or somehow feel more acceptable uh, because there's the idea that, well, they're following George's book and sure they make changes, but we're okay with that. It's once the show started to veer off beyond the books that, that these things became less forgivable. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the, it's because the, it's they felt different. It's, I, I think that there's an entirely different feeling to the storytelling process. Yes. Post books. And I know you talked about it uh, last yeah. time, but I think that there's another layer to it um, that that I don't think you mentioned that uh, makes a lot of sense to me and kind of jives with the way I think about things anyway. But I don't know if I was interrupting you. No, go ahead. Yeah. And um, that's the idea of sociological versus psych- psychological storytelling. Mm. And um, so George R. R. Martin is has always in, in all of his books tells things from through what has been termed a sociological lens by some people. Whereas mm-hmm. the, the, the uh, material conditions in which the uh, characters exist in have a much bigger part to play in their storytelling than a psychological storyteller would, where the, the, the entire, you know, the character development, everything, everything that they do is understood through psychological development. Whereas like sociological mm-hmm. development of a, of a story focuses more on external factors than internal factors and how those external factors uh, inform the internal psychology. And so the more popular way of telling stories in our culture is psychological. We we really like to understand things psychologically. Like we like to understand conflicts at work. We like to understand uh, historical figures like like Hitler specifically. I read an article and they use this, they use this example like, well, you know, what if you had the chance to go back and kill baby Hitler? Would you do it? And, you know, to someone who understands things sociologically more than psychologically, you would say no, because it doesn't matter. There's going to be some demagogue that steps up and uh, fulfills this position regardless of, you know, who's there. And I think that George R.R. Martin is more of a a sociological storyteller. And he, the, the two... The two major enemies in the book aren't the Night King and Cersei. They're the just inhuman other and political corruption. Right. And that's how he tells the story. And the way that D&D tell the story is the Night King is the bad guy and Cersei is the bad guy. Yeah. 
and and that right. the things shift dramatically once you get off of the book subject matter and then the way that all the characters understand themselves and understand their relation to these two gigantic enemies that they're facing is uh through a very psychological lens and um i i read that and i went oh that makes so much sense to me like it, it all it all clicks because i think that the way i think about everything and you know if anyone's familiar with our podcast, it's it's a Marxist political theory podcast. Like, uh, yeah, of course, the idea of a social sociological explanation for everything jives more with the way I think about things. Well, I think just the introduction of the Night King, which is who's not in the book. No, right? Like, I so mean, in the, or at least not, at least not as of yet, right? No, yet the, they're just the others. The Night King is a character uh, uh, from the, the Night's King. Yeah, yeah, and, and but, but he's, different. he's not the leader of the uh, of the others. Is that's the way they refer to them in the book? Is they're the others, not the White Walkers? Right. So if you look at the way, even just that change with giving giving the White Walkers a, a face, mm-hmm. you know, uh, for a, a central conflict. Like I think it's it's one of those things where I, pe- I I saw people. There's two major. There are three major moments in series in season eight that seem to get the the ire of most people mm-hmm. it's one it's Arya killing the night king and not john it's um cersei dying under the rubble versus uh being burned alive by the dragon and it's uh, daenerys turning into uh I, I don't believe that she turned into the mad queen i think she, it was the natural evolution of her character i don't actually think she's insane and i don't think they portrayed her as insane really no, not really. Just vengeful. She's vengeful, which she has always been. I think, I think people made the because her father was known as the Mad King. I think people were like, "Oh, they've turned her into the Mad Queen. She would never just go insane." And I don't think she is insane. I think she, like great villains in most stories, thinks she's the hero. Yeah, she has that tyrannical uh, logic of um, it's going to make a better world. She's like a true believer, and the um, the thing she, you know. Her destroying King's Landing in the way she did, I can see where she might believe that is the best move, because uh, up until up until the last episode, people were kind of saying it. You know, she had this anger and she was pushed to the edge, but then when you hear her give her, um, you know, kind of her final words there in that last episode, you realize that she th- that was a decision. That was not just a, a, yeah. a reaction. She probably thought that once the word got out that any city that stands against her will just be completely put to the, well, not put to the torch. I mean, that's, that's uh, but burned by a dragon, <laughs> even worse. Yeah. Uh, and so I think she thought, you know, it, it kind of a Hiroshima Nagasaki logic that like, you know, once right. once the message goes out that we've got the bomb, Peace yeah. will come, and so what's, yeah. what's what was what was the, fra- the 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 phrase that was sort of associated with the use of the bomb? Oh, uh, I don't I don't know that one. It was like, it was like peace through power, uh, peace peace through mutually assured destruction. That's oh yeah, it. that's yeah. it. I, yeah. I um I I've heard some people online sort of make the the parallels between Daenerys and Hillary Clinton, but I think it's bigger than that. I think part of the reason why people that's real dumb. <laughs> but yeah, could you can you well, expand on that a little bit? Well, I, I will, I will, because I, I, you know, the idea that people view her as sort of this this savior of of the of the right course of action of the moral right, and that she results in warmongering and and it's. Depending on your point of view on Hillary Clinton, either that's an accurate portrayal of how Hillary would save the world, or <laughs> by if, destroying the Middle East. Well, so yeah, because she she never mind. I'm not going to get too <laughs> well, political on this episode. <laughs> I am, I am, because I think actually, I think part of the reason why people have such an issue with Daenerys's turn is a, it's really difficult to have have um, complex. I hate the term strong female character. Yeah, because that's usually just a character that's given masculine, traditionally masculine traits. I think mm-hmm. a better phrasing is it's very difficult to find complex, multi-layered female characters and and female protagonists in film. And I think in some ways she represented that to some people, and they, and they felt like, come on, we we want to let let's allow our hero to be 
to to uh, subvert expectations and let it be this this uh, you know so blonde hair, blue eyed, uh, yeah. Um, uh, what's the Aryan savior? <laughs> the white savior. So to me, Target like Aryan is the Targaryen. <laughs> <laughs> so to me, the uh, people's hopes wrapped up in Daenerys uh, being some sort of uh, feminist hero is sort of an illustration of the failure of mainstream liberalism in the United mm-hmm. States, where I think it's it's like you take this Bonapartist figure who is like a ruthless tyrant, but a benevolent tyrant, you know, a, a, a benevolent despot, right? Up until the final scene, right? And she's supposed to be the personification of your uh, the feminist goals, right? Uh, so whenever the thing that tyrants do happens eventually you're like no she was our feminist hero and like look you've got feminist heroes in the story you've got Arya, you've got um sansa you got sansa right exactly but if wrapping your hopes up in a a figure a monarch who is attempting to do what reclaim a throne that is hers by what right of what right birth you know that's like those are so just antithetical to all of the ideas of the enlightenment and the foundation of liberalism and you know the democratic ideals that the united states was founded on and the the entire modern world is founded on so it's a failure of the way that american liberalism understands itself it's like it's it's got its hopes wrapped up in great figures rather than systemic change you know so it's it's always like the the argument of whether or not you want the progressive reformers versus the one person who has done their time and is a great person and will fix things by virtue of their uh, their moral greatness. greatness or whatever. I mean, it's to me, it's it's just the bankruptcy of mainstream American liberalism is illustrated in people's disappointment in Daenerys Targaryen. Yeah, if I if I were going to well, choose I, I, a, an example mm-hmm. for like powerful woman in the books or or in the probably in the series too. I don't know how she was represented, but Asher Greyjoy uh, is just... Yeah, she's Yara in the show. Yara is her name? Okay. Yeah, so Yara... Yeah, they changed her name because it was too close to Asha. Oh, okay. Who was Bran, Bran's uh, wild nanny. Oh, right, right. Nanny. Yeah, so Yara Greyjoy, as, as some know her, uh, man, she is the coolest. Yeah. I mean, like, she's... She's a badass. Yeah, she's in this, like, fully... Uh, what. I mean, how would you describe the Ironborn? They're just, it's a masculine culture. It's women are incredibly misogynistic. Incredibly misogynistic. Culture, yeah. Women are salt wives at, and and their property. And she, here's this woman that's like a ship captain and just a freaking badass. Like, I mean, she she tries to become the queen of the Isle, knowing that and almost. I mean, at the at the the way the king's mood is done in the book like she gets a lot of people behind her uh, to support her for queen yeah. these are misogynistic viking men that just would you know that don't even think that god would allow a female ruler and once she kind of makes her case they're like all right you know let's get behind her and and uh well, she's just cool like yeah. she's uh yeah i don't know she's she's tough i don't i don't know how they represented her on the show if it was if i would be disappointed with that representation but i i don't i don't think so and in fact i think that the show had quite a number uh, in fact uh, if you look at the show and the way the show ended you have uh, a dwarf it has a, a chance for redemption you have uh, a disabled person ascends to the crown you have uh, a woman liberate her people without further violence and, and then you have another woman who um is is able to subvert the expectations of her as a lady and choose her own path as an adventurer yeah all the I, main characters all protected classes have great endings and and the one traditional hero is thrown into exile until his end days he's yeah. on john yeah, I yeah. thought that was a pretty good ending for him. I mean, he gets to he gets it, to leave the kingdom and go live among the wild. And well, I, mean, I have a theory. Kind of cool, I have a theory. I I have a theory that the book will end very similar for him, except that I don't. I think that John is dead in that scene, and and that uh, that's just his final thought. 
as he as he slips into the afterlife. It it felt very similar to Frodo and Gandalf going into whatever their afterlife is. Oh yeah, uh, going to the beyond the yeah yeah to the Grey Havens. That's what it's called. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It felt very and, and because I know that George uh, Martin is so influenced by tokenism and lord of the rings like it felt very symbolic of that like yes it looks like a happy ending he's going off into beyond the wall but really like i think john probably in the books i I think there'll be a whole chapter where he just lives out his days in exile in castle black and then his final thought is him with ghost uh traveling beyond the wall with his wildling friends like finally free of his servitude i don't don't think he's staying at castle black i thought that was the whole point of that scene when he shows up and torment's there is that? Yeah, no, that's what yeah, I'm saying. Is that I think he's, I think he's in not going to be in the Night's Watch. He's he's going beyond the wall, and to right, the... right. And but I think the, my theory is the book will be very similar, except when he gets to Castle Black, there will be you know like it was a little bit of a it was way too happy an ending. Like I showed up, all my friends happened to be waiting for me. How would they know he'd be there? How you know like why were they Someone waiting for him? Crow. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe, or maybe in the books he gets there and he's alone and you get a whole chapter of how he spends the rest of his days in exile and his, and John's final thought is he's reunited in his mind with ghosts. He gets to pet ghosts. Uh, he gets to see his friends again. They get to go live beyond the wall. I don't know. I think that... Just, just the only <laughs> reason I say I don't know is because there has been no representation of an afterlife or anything. Oh, they talk about gods all the time. Well, they also talk about, like, he's like, you're the only person that might know this. What's going to happen to me when I die? Oh, like, yeah. Varys asks John. Yeah. He's like, he's like what, what happens? Like, what is there after you die? He's like, nothing. No, it's, uh, it's um, Tyrion. Tyrion. Yeah, but yeah, yeah Tyr- Tyrion. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 It was Tyrion. It was the last episode. You're yeah, right. But yeah, yeah. He says nothing. Nothing's there. And Tyrion's like, he I'm says okay, right. nothing. <laughs> well, well he, said, not, he said, not that I've seen <laughs> It, by the way, did John's voice get way more raspy as the series went? Oh yeah, he got way kind of Scottish with his accent. Yeah. Well, um, one of the things that so I thought that it was the decent wrap up for the series. Yeah. Given, I mean, there are about a hundred different plot threads that were carried through the series up until the the, the last three seasons that were just kind of snipped off at the very end. And if you're going to do the abbreviated seasons like the like they wanted to and have the, the pace of the show continue the way it did, I understand the reason they cut them off, though it is incredibly disappointing for me to never see the resolution of so many of these different plot threads. Right. And uh, one of the plot threads that I really wanted to talk about is why the fuck did a Rhaegar Targaryen name both of his sons Aegon? Hmm. Well, that... <laughs> Uh, and is it going to be like that in the book too? That's what I want to know. Because John was Aegon, but also so was his other baby, the one that the mountain killed. Just just in case he lost was one, it? he had a backup. I guess. Just gonna have a backup Aegon. <laughs> were both of his children Aegon? Yeah, they were. And I, and I, so was there maybe, not a system uh, where they they put an imposter child in place for the mountain to kill that, and that's how they escaped John out of there? Wasn't it some? Uh, that's what I understood. It was something like that. No, no, no. That. That's that's the the young Griff, like idea. I, I, I'm right? not sure. I'm not sure. Okay, so in um, in the the Tower of Joy, you're yeah, you're right. He does have a two. Yeah, yeah. They need to come up with more clever names. Yeah. It's like Aegon so the in second. The ta- in the Tower Aegon of Joy, the second part the, two. Well, wait. Is his kids? Would he have known that his kids with um, uh, Elia Martel? Would he have known that they were dead by this point? Oh, I don't know. Because maybe that. maybe it was like, oh, my kid's dead, but I really love that name. So if it's a boy, name him after the de- his his dead brother, and if it's a girl, name him after his dead sister. Hmm. Maybe I don't maybe. know. Maybe that's that's possible. I I didn't I didn't think of the the fact that the sack of King's Landing happened before the Tower of Joy. Right. Either that, but by the way, he might not have had any say in the name. It might have been his like new bride being kind of shades. Like I'm gonna steal your dead wife <laughs> and dead baby's name because I liked it better. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I I really liked about the the wrapping up ending was the idea that uh, Bran Stark, who is uh, basically now the the consciousness of the three eyed Raven, who is a thousands of year old uh, green seer from the 
from the Children of the Forest, who was a genocidal maniac essentially in creating yeah <laughs> in creating the 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 Night King, according to the um, the the the, st- the show storyline, is now in charge of the descendants of the people that destroyed his people. Absolutely, yeah. So is this really a happy yeah, ending? Yeah, there, there are you know? so many implications with that. I mean, when, when he's goes, why do you think I came back? Remember that? Because they're, they're like, Bran has... Yeah. I mean, basically, what he's saying is like, I knew all this was going to happen. I knew King's Landing was going to get destroyed. I knew there would be all these, these battles and all these people would die. And I thought, I'll come back just in, co- in time to be king. It's like he could have stopped so many things from happening, and he just let them. And so you have to think of um, they—they they all just kind of smile and nod as as Bran basically is explaining like all of this was my grand plan to become the ruler of you, and this is now, not Bran talking. Is, is, this is a consciousness from. I mean, it's right. disturbing actually if you think about it. That <laughs> well, is. Well, that's why I think I think that this is where I I, I think is a criticism of the show. I I I feel like. George said, okay, here's how it's going to end. Uh, and then they took it as at face value. But really, there are way darker implications that I hope that the book expands upon. That's why I have the theory that John is actually dead at the end and that this is like just his final thought. Maybe it's not an afterlife thing, but maybe it's just a thought. And the idea that Bran has manipulated the entire sort of Game of Thrones to ascend to kingdom, to ascend to power without ever really having to lift a finger... Um, but does it does it establish that John can see into the future or just see backwards? Bran, you said John. Say? John. Oh, so Bran. Yeah, Bran. Remember that. Uh, I think I think that. It's... Yeah, I think that they. He says he knows everything that has happened and is happening. I don't know if they ever mentioned whether or not he could see the future. I, I don't think he does. I'm trying. Even in the yeah. books, uh, when he has that scene where he's looking through the eyes of all the weirwood trees. I, I don't think there's any future scenes there. Yeah. But 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 he would certainly be he would certainly know the history and be intelligent enough to sort of manipulate certain things to mm-hmm. essentially the children of the forest have reclaimed control of the yes. Westeros. <laughs> and and everybody's just kind of like, "Hey, that's great. He's friendly. He's in a wheelchair. He's harmless." You know, <laughs> good Exactly. Good now, now could could the show have done a little bit more to show um a dark streak in Bran. I think maybe, I think they could have maybe left him to be, uh, to, uh, I think I sent you guys both. There's a, there's sort of a, a video online where it has, Oh yeah. The eighties the ending. Yeah. The eighties ending of, of game of Thrones where it has a uh, tears for fear. Everyone wants oh, to rule yeah. the world. And it's just like, it has a little, the little freeze frame and an explanation of what happens. And essentially the, the, the ending they give Bran is like, yeah, he basically rules with an iron fist because he ends wars before they start, stop, or start. And it, another one of the things that I really wanted to know was who the fuck was the god or a demon or whatever that spoke to the sorcerer that cut off uh, uh, Varys's junk. Like you remember that one scene where Kinvara, the uh, the other red priestess, says to Varys, "Like, do you want to know who it was that spoke to you?" That spoke. Uh-oh. From the shadows yeah. or whatever, and yeah, then right. I was like, "Ooh, okay, yeah." And then nothing. I mean, I guess yeah. it's it probably it was not a super essential driver to the plot, but damn, that would have been cool. Yeah, to know. I'm surprised the show even touched on that again because in the book, the way it it's just kind of an explanation for why Varys doesn't like magic, but it's such a yeah. chilling thing to think of this little boy who's just yeah. had this traumatic injury and he's just sitting there all paralyzed and and he describes that the um. The, the method of paralyzing him that the, the guy used um, made sure that he still felt all of the pain. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 do, they explain that in the yeah, story, too. Stuff. I mean, in, in the show, too. Yeah. I, so yeah, I, I actually I, just went back and rewatched the entire series because for my job, um, it's, there's a lot of mindless data entry and, uh, and uh, drawing using a computer program. Right. Uh, so I don't really have to concentrate too hard. So I, I just watched the entire series nice. again at work <laughs> over the past couple of weeks. And, um, that and I was, whenever you invited me on, I was like, Oh, I need to, I need to remember to, to write down a few things that I thought of during my, my viewing. And one of the things that I thought of too, is just like, you, you don't necessarily, uh, get, and this is to sort of underscore one of the points that you made. You don't necessarily get the vibe that Daenerys is a, 
a mad queen, but you definitely get the vibe that she is incredibly ruthless and vengeful, like yeah. all throughout the entire series. Right. Like she, she loves her people, but she's totally okay with well, killing more, anybody that stands up to her. And well, you and even get that vibe when she's talking to John. Yeah. When she meets John. Well, more specifically, she loves people who love her. Yeah. And and there's a scene in um, I believe it's in season one. When does her brother? When does her brother die? Season, season one. one. Yeah. Yeah. Where he's realizing that the Dothraki love her, and accept her, and they don't accept him as their ruler. He thought by marrying his sister off to um, was it uh, Khal Draga, like that that they would they would accept him as their ruler, and they don't. They love her. And you can see it's when it's when he it, when his switch flips for him, where he becomes beyond just just a, a, a ruthless, violent guy, and he starts to go really insane. Mm-hmm. Is when he realizes that his power is never going to be cemented. Yeah. And if you look at through the show, like people who love her, the Unsullied, the Dothrakis, all warrior tribes, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, she's yeah, she's merciful and she's their leader, but she's never ruled over peace. Mm-mm. She's always just conquered and moved on and usually leaves uh, the, the chaos in her wake. <laughs> yeah. So she basically represents U.S. foreign policy. <laughs> One of the, uh, the changes that happens in the book, I mean, that happens in the show that doesn't happen in the book sort of, I think, helps explain one of the things that happens in the final season that people are so bummed out about. And that was uh, the fact that Tyrion's just off his game. Like, completely. Right. Right. He's in love. Right. So, so uh, Tyrion is totally off his game, and he's been wrecked. He, he's, like, all the way up to the point of him becoming Hand of the Queen, he's the most intelligent guy in the world, right? But then, once he becomes Hand of the Queen, he just, like, bumbles through season seven and season eight. He pretty... He, he fails pretty spectacularly. Right. But in the in the book... The, the relationship between him and his um, Shay, him and Shay, is different. In the in the the show, they portray it as like Shay loves him, they love each other, uh, and then she gets angry when he tries to put her aside, and turns on him. But in the in the book, she never loves him. She pretends and then mocks him and uh, goes the extra mile to to illustrate that she never loved him, never cared about him, and that it wasn't like this mutual relationship. And that fucks Tyrion up even more um, and just totally ruins him moving forward. Right. Well, and also the... you mm. find out that uh, as he's leaving King's Landing, that the whore that he supposedly married um, was never actually a prostitute and was actually in love with him. And that Jamie had just lied to him his whole life. So he's got those two pieces yeah, of right. information leaving for, moving forward. And that doesn't happen in, in the show. So he's just kind of after that point, like in the books, he's just a total fucking wreck. And he, he hasn't recovered so far. And in the show, they don't really do – they don't really like give you that sort of uh, motivation for Tyrion being just like – so ruined his person. Actually, in the show, they actually put the backstory of his his first marriage, but they never explained. Yeah, the, yeah they, they, they mentioned they never explained that um, it was the the, the the double cross from his father like that, like that that she really did marry him. Uh, I mean, I I don't remember. I I mean, I think they they definitely bring up the fact that his father got rid of her. Yeah, but I they don't. They never mentioned that she wasn't actually yeah. a prostitute, and that basically. Uh, Tywin Lannister had all of his guardsmen like rape her in front of yeah. Tyrion, and then he made um, Tyrion do it and, in front of everybody as well. And she got yeah. paid in silver for all of the guards, but she got paid in gold for Tyrion. Uh, see, that's horrible be- that they would just leave that detail because, like, that fact that Tyrion actually met a woman, got married, and then his father had his brother make up this whole story that she was just a prostitute that they hired, and then like get you know what make him watch everybody rape her like and then in the end when Tyrion finds out that no you actually did get a woman to fall in love with you and she was your real wife and there there were never there never was any prostitution situation 
I mean, that's like a summation of Tyrion's whole relationship with his father. That's his whole childhood. That's what he's dealt with his entire life is this family is just sabotaging him and messing with him. And then Tyrion then kills, he kills his, his father. father. Yeah, and it makes way more sense. Yeah, not, not just because his father referred to Shay as a whore, which... You know. uh, they they definitely think, uh, actually. It's uh, funny because for a series, I guess his dad doesn't he refer to his wife the 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 one we're talking about too. I think he says something about that. Like, oh yeah, yeah that's what it is. He he refers to his 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 wife who wasn't a whore. Yeah, a whore. and so that's when he just crossbow yeah, right. Th- in the that's when he shoots him. Yeah. So it's this this like deeply ingrained like trauma in Tyrion that has basically shaped his his view of women and his yeah. father. Yeah, and well, it, I, I think what. One thing that the show does is it doesn't it doesn't stay it doesn't emphasize things in the backstory. For example, yeah. like like that's a great example, like where they it mentions it, it sets it up, but it really kind of focuses on the characters on screen being their main motivation versus something from that's that happens off screen being a driving See, I, motivation. I would describe that characters. as like it only partially yeah. explains it, and the detail that it leaves out is the most important detail. And I, from what I hear, yeah, the show I mean, seems to do that a lot. It kind of does. And I've always liked it anyway. But I always kind of felt like when people were like, oh, I don't understand why that happened. I'd be like, <laughs> well, if you would have read <laughs> books. But that's yeah. not good enough, really. I don't think. No. I don't think that's and good I, enough. No, you should never, you should always be able to get it on screen. But I think yeah. also, uh, this is where I think sometimes movies... Maybe this is just a downside of, of TV and movies, but I think that they feel like if we don't see the character, they won't really remember all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So we have to attribute like this pain and betrayal to the character that we're seeing, not a character that we never, ever see. Yeah. You know? Yeah, um, I, I get that. I mean, it's just whenever I heard that they were making uh, a TV series of A Song of Ice and Fire, I was like, that's going to be tough. Like, just looking at look at the the size of the audiobooks. You know right. how many hours are in the audiobook? I think it's something like uh, like fifty hours for a yeah, Game of Thrones. Huge. You know, they're they're yeah. enormous files. I mean, like, and uh, I was like, wow, that's fifty hours of narration, yeah. and they're going to turn it into a twelve hour series. You know, right? And they're going to have to leave out a lot. So I I think that they did a really good job of it. Of, of adapting it. In fact, it's one of the better adaptations I've ever seen, but there are just like, there's so much, so many rich layers that are just sort of sidestepped. Well, and I think what they, a theme that they applied to this, particularly this season, but really over the last few seasons was, um, uh, and there's even a line with it, like, what is it? Love is the destruction of, of honor. What is, what's the line that he says? Do you remember? Um, uh, he says that, uh, Love is the death of honor, yeah. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, love is love is the death of honor. And if you look at if you look at the motivation behind Tyrion making so many poor choices, it's less about a backstory and more about what's in front of him, which is he falls in love with Daenerys, yet another woman that that will never love him back, just like Sansa was, and just like um, what was her name? What was it? Shay? Yeah. Shay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just another example of him wanting love and it not being uh, returned to him. Um, I'd like to get back to kind of what we were discussing about some of the things they leave out. But over the years, I've, I've heard about some details that were added to the show that were different than the books. Um, And Mm, those, some of those decisions to me sometimes are just downright disturbing. Uh, Well, okay. Like Mm, there's one that I can think of when Rob Stark is murdered. Uh, uh, by the phrase, the Red Wedding episode. Uh, the mm-hmm. reason being that he uh, didn't marry the Frey girl that he was supposed to marry. When, and so he mm-hmm. brings his, um, in the show, he brings his wife to that wedding. Uh, and mm-hmm. right. apparently she's very pregnant at the time and like showing. And someone stabs her in the stomach <laughs> what yeah, the heck, yeah. man? I mean, in the book, she's not even there. And what what disturbs me the most is I think that the motivation for putting her in that scene and having her get the st- stomach stabbing is 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 um the most disturbing part of all. 
because uh, Chris, you may remember how she uh, she doesn't have the child in the book either, but you re- may remember the way that um, that that happens. I don't, I'm, I'm the the Lannisters make an agreement with her mother that if she oh yeah 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 that's she'll right. drink drink the, the moon tea. she'll yeah, abort it. she'll have an abortion basically drink the moon tea yeah they'll they'll reward her family and all this stuff and she'll be safe and um they're in the show she's she's a noble woman from uh yeah. one of the free cities but in the book she's uh one of she's a the the child of a, a yeah, Lannister banner cousins or so yeah right yeah and so uh, yeah so they yeah. they bribe the mother and uh, Jamie basically handles all of this and like yeah and if she'll have an yeah. abortion you know so that way Rob Stark has no heir then you know you'll be rewarded by the Lannisters there'll be no legal pen- penalties against anybody and I think that we might live in a country where the writers thought that audiences would prefer to see a pregnant woman stabbed in the stomach over and over rather than a woman choose to have an abortion. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's, uh, I, I mean, I could that? be wrong. Can you not I, see where I'm coming from, man? No, I don't think that's it. I think that they made, again, this is the, this is the, this is the, I, this is a, a byproduct of the compression of the show, right? So, you could do that. You could have it to where she's not there, and there's a whole. You would have to dedicate at least half an no, episode to it's this a very brief subplot scene. of very uh, brief. It's just y- yeah, but it's Jamie not, dealing with this that, little thing. Not, I mean, it could even be mentioned uh, in uh, when when Cersei's talking with her advisors. So you know, has this been taken care of? Yes, we had her drink Moonsey. It could be, but you wouldn't. It wouldn't. It wouldn't work that way. You'd have to show it. You'd have to set up. The plan you have to show the the conversation on some level, and then you have to like a, at least allude to the resolution. You're probably dedicating a, a good subplot of an episode to this one thing, or you could just do it in one fell swoop in one scene. Um, I I see where you're going, Matt, and uh, I think that you could probably write a dissertation <laughs> on that, and uh, as a literary critic, and you know get your PhD based on that thesis, and it would stand up. But also, I kind of think that. This is probably more of a, a case of that's too complicated. Yeah, you know, ah, whatever. We'll yeah. just have her get stabbed. It's the same thing, right? Murdering a baby in the <laughs> oh, stomach, God. or you know, <laughs> that's an example right there of uh, of that sociological storytelling again, where it's like the the social mores of of the world as it's set up are what d- dictates what happens to Rob Stark's yeah. unborn heir, right. right? Yeah. Like, it might have been interesting if they spent some time, like, showing, like, how her family reacts along with the Starks and the phrase in terms of, like, what this marriage, what this uh, this sort of union is creating and how it affects how that all works on a social level. But they didn't. Boy, are the Stark boys some dumbasses, huh? <laughs> They're really <laughs> foolish. Uh, that's one thing, that's one thing that, that's a, that's a, that's one criticism of the show is I like Jon Snow but I have a real hard time rooting for him because he's never what uh, he's never had that moment where I'm like, yeah, this is the guy to, to, to go all in on. You know, like I was up until Rob's death because not having read that, the, that book and, and not knowing where it was going to go. Um, I, Rob was my favorite in the first what three seasons. You know, I was like, yeah, John, he's okay. But like Rob's Rob's a smart one. And then, Rob gets offed because he makes a poor decision, and then Sir John assumes the role of the protagonist for the remainder of the series. But like, he lost the Battle of the Bastards. He gets saved by Sansa. He he re, he unites people, which is cool, but he the, doesn't really win the the battle against the dead. Yeah, the the way that he his natural talents as a leader come out a lot more in the book, I think. Like it shows him, whenever he takes command of the wall. Uh, okay, do you do you remember what, what was his name? The the guy that trained him. Uh, Mormont. And, huh? Not Mormont. Uh, uh, the one armed guy. The the, the sir. Armed? Oh, his uh, sir. Oh, with the beard, the Brady beard thing. No, not him. The Noy? the guy that trained him that was some Noy. Sir Alistair, oh, Alistair Thor- yeah. Sir Alistair Thorne. Oh yeah, the really really mean guy. Alistair yeah, Thorne. He, him. 
Yeah, that the dickhead drill sergeant, no, right? Uh, so, so, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, that's that sounds like some sort of weird like fake Dom on IG's Instagram handle. Sir, they had this part. It's just kind of a small Love detail. Her, but but leave there's her this wild. part where Tyrion goes to visit the Wall in the first book, where um, mm-hmm. he just pisses Alistair Thorne off so bad <laughs> at dinner that um, Thorne challenges him to a duel. So Tyrion gets his little. Uh, his little like crab eating fork and like pokes him in the stomach and like says he won the duel and uh, Thorn like leaves the table and yeah. <laughs> that doesn't happen in the but show. It's really cool because like no. <laughs> Thorn says something about you know you half man you little imp and like that's when uh, Maester Aemon you know the wise old Targaryen Maester Aemon chimes in and he's like yeah that is not a small man at this table that's a giant and it's it's kind of the first time you start getting yeah. this like where they're the people who know the people who are really smart they recognize what Tyrion is right um so there's there's a the scene where uh he takes over command of the wall from Alistair Thorne and he is in charge of the defense John against Snow the does. wildlings a, and i yeah. think in the books yeah in the books, it's because Sir Alistair Thorne is incapacitated in some way. I don't remember exactly what happens. Uh, but he is 100% in charge of the defense of the wall from the wildlings attacking from the south and from the other side. And he comes up with the entire defense. He coordinates everything. And he's basically, you know, in charge of the wall. He, he He's running Castle Black. After that, he Sam sort of engineers this behind the scenes stuff where they gets John elected to Lord commander. And um, then after that, John sort of like, that's when the, the whole thing happens where John lets the wildlings in and he gets stabbed for it and everything. But his, his, uh, his leadership abilities are illustrated in that sort of defense of the wall scene. And that doesn't really come through in the, in the show. Yeah, and, I mean he he does he does a decent job when he's in with the Night's Watch. He sort of start to buy it more, but yeah. once he leaves the Night's Watch, you really see that um, he's not very battle smart. I mean, he essentially just sort of charges in. He's he's you know he's which I don't mind by the way to some degree because I he represents like the traditional Tolkien hero, mm-hmm. but but I think in the world and in, in the context of the series like that hero doesn't work. Like yeah. if you if you look at the major victories for the quote unquote good guys, it's a political pact between Sansa and Littlefinger wins the Battle of the Bastards, mm-hmm. right? It's a stealthy assassination that wins the battle against the undead. Um, the these are how these moments occur. They're not through like I challenge you to a duel with honor and we yeah. battle on the battles. Those don't happen. You've been listening to the Grindhouse podcast on the He's Never Gonna Finish the Books Network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and wherever all fine podcasts can be found. Mm-hmm.